Hi, I'm picking up where I left off just a few moments ago uh, when I looked at Acts chapter 5 live on Facebook and YouTube. Now I'm on Instagram. So I'm going to pick up from Acts chapter 6. So this is Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned a full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to do to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, and a, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so there's a crisis and there's a solution. The crisis is some people aren't getting food and the solution is to appoint leaders who will distribute food. Seems to make logical sense. So let's look at it more closely. The problem is people not getting food, specifically these widows. You know, widows are people who uh, are dependent. You know, they don't have a breadwinner in the, in the family, don't have a... Uh, a husband or a breadwinner so um, so the church it seems has been providing for these videos but apparently the widows who were Greek weren't getting their food whereas um, uh, because they were being neglected whereas the Hebrew widows were getting food so they're saying is there some racist thing happening and so what they did was they appointed these uh, deacons um, these um, helpers, these um, leaders, as it were, in the church to distribute food. And what's worth noticing is that these seven men who were chosen were all Greek speakers. So the problem was amongst those who were Greek. And so they chose representatives from that demographic to serve them. It's kind of like, you know, if, say, uh, internationals in your church were being neglected. And, you know, it, it might just be a logistics thing you know i don't think it was intentional but just that there is a problem and you recognize it's there the people you appoint to serve this demographic um, it makes sense to appoint internationals and i think there's just a lot of wisdom there uh, uh, the requirement wasn't that they should be greek but the requirement should be that they are um, what is it men full of men of good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom so people who have a clean record, a good repute, and full of the spirit and wisdom. That means they're Christians, you know, or godly in that sense. And yeah, as a result, uh, the word of God increased, and number of disciples multiplied greatly, and there's repentance, especially amongst these priests. So the church grew as a result of this potential split between the demographics, the Greeks, and the Hebrew people, Hebrew widows in the church. Uh, but what's interesting is the story picks up from one of these leaders that were appointed to just serve food. 
because he ends up doing more than just giving out food in the church. And we pick up from verse 8, looking at Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great works, sorry, wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, but we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat at the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Which is quite an interesting picture of them looking at the face of this guy who looks so innocent. You know, face of an angel. It looks so sweet even. And they're, they're making all these false accusations. Like he's this really mean, bad guy. But they can see with their own eyes that this guy is innocent. And the reason they make these accusations is because they aren't able to refute him at the level of content, at the level of his arguments. Because it says there, verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You know, the result of Stephen, again, one of these people, appointed to just give out food, you know, give out grain, give out food to the widows. He has to have this spirit, but the spirit causes him to be this great evangelist, this great apologist. You know, he's speaking and arguing with those who are arguing back against him about the faith, but he is, you know, he, he's just so full of this wisdom, but also of this reasonableness that they can't reason, they can't fight with him in terms of the reason, so they make up false accusations. And the accusations have to do with um, verse 13, this holy place and the law. So they say that he claims that Jesus will dis destroy this temple, will destroy the law. You know, verse 14, we had heard him say that Jesus will destroy this place and change the custom. So they're appealing to national allegiances. You know, hey, we are all Jews. You know, this is our temple. This is our culture, and he's speaking against our culture, against our, uh, our temple. It's almost like, you know, um, this is our church. You know, this person is speaking against our church. You know, they, 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 they're just trying to paint a picture whereby this guy is the bad guy, but we are, all on, we are all the good guys because we are all on the same team, and he's outside of our team. And that's important to note because when Peter, not Peter, that's <laughs> really late, when Stephen argues back, he starts by saying that I am one of you. And he actually speaks very, very respectfully about Moses, about the law, and about the temple. So picking up from verse, from chapter 7, sorry. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this place in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but 
promised to give to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them for uh, afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, God said. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob the twelve patriarchs. So he's retelling uh, the history of Israel. Uh, beginning with Abraham, moving on to Moses. He talks about how God appeared to Abraham and gave him uh, this command to go to this place. So it's establishing how they've come to live now in this land that God had given them because it is a land that God gave to their father Abraham. They're receiving now as his sons. Moves on to the law that God gave through Moses. You know, God gave this law to Moses. Uh, verse 8, also the covenant of circumcision, verse seven, the worship that comes through, uh, comes the worship that happens in this place. So there's a locality. There's the this is going to be a place where they're going to be, you know, worshiping God. They're going to have God's word with them. And this is again, you know, remember the charges against Stephen is that he's speaking against this place, speaking against this word. And he's saying, no, no, no. You know, I believe that God gave us this place. God gave us this word. And the linking idea uh, all throughout these verses is the idea of fathers and fathers. You know, he addresses them in verse 2 as brothers and fathers. You know, our father Abraham. This was the law that was given to our fathers. This is the land that our fathers inherited. So he's speaking in great respect. You know, in Chinese you say uncles. But in Hebrew culture you call them fathers. You know, um, even closer uh a respect term, you know, you're calling someone your father. That means you love them, you honor them, you respect them. Uh, verse 9, And the patriarchs, or fathers, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him, and rescued him out of all his affliction, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. You know, our fathers, our fathers, you hear that? And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and he, and he carried back to Shechem, and laid in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So here, the fathers, he says, our fathers, our fathers, he's referring to the, the 12 brothers of Israel, um, of Jacob, 12 sons of Jacob, sorry. Um, and these are our fathers because they're the fathers of the 12 tribes. So our fathers are fathers. They, they betrayed Joseph. They were in the famine and went back to Joseph looking for food, and they were saved through Joseph from dying in the famine. Uh, but again, um, linking back to their story is our story because um, those brothers were our fathers. And one thing to notice is these fathers betrayed their brother. 
these fathers uh, sold him into jealousy because, uh, verse 9, they were jealous of Joseph. So already there's a hint that, you know, our fathers, though we respect them, we love them, made mistakes, they sinned in a way that displayed their jealousy, and maybe we as their children inherit that same um, character of being jealous of one another, or maybe even wanting to kill one another out of that jealousy. Verse 17, But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until they arose over Egypt, another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you really want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became father of two sons. So it's pretty long, you know, the tracking with Moses. But it tracks with how Moses was rejected by his own brothers. You know, he wanted to save them, but uh, he was threatened by one of them when he tried to save them. And as a result, he runs into the wilderness and has two sons. Verse 30, Now when the forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now I send you to Egypt. So he's speaking very respectfully and very accurately about the history of Egypt how God saved them through Moses, how God gave them the law through Moses, and how God brought them into the land through Moses. And at this point, every God-fearing Jew, so every Sunday school teacher, every Christian would go, Amen, Amen. You're one of us. Hey, you know, it, they, they did, they're silent. They're listening to him speak this very, very long sermon, by the way. And they're probably just going, yeah, that's true. That's good. Hey, you know, this Stephen, he's a good guy. They're probably ready to hug him. <laughs> or at the very least, they're being silenced in their accusation. They're saying, you guys are, you are, you Stephen, you're against Moses. But no, he's just been giving the whole history of Moses. Speaking about Moses as someone who should be respected, who really faced so much trials. And, you know, he's, he's, he's speaking about their, their leader, Moses, the one who gave them the law. But look at how he sums it, this up towards the end. Verse 35. 
This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea and at the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses. This, this is the guy. He's trying to point attention. This is the guy that we're talking about. This Moses. He was being rejected, but he saved them. He was, he, he was the one who was foretold, uh, and therefore he was the one that God used to save them. You know, he, this, this is the Moses we're talking about. That's what he's saying. Um, this is the one, verse 38, who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to, give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So this Moses, our fathers, rejected. Did you hear that? Now this Moses, whom you're saying, I reject, our fathers rejected. Uh -huh. So there's, there seems to be a turning point here. Yes, we both believe in Moses. And you say, I reject Moses. But say, hey, hey, here in, in the Bible itself, it shows that we have rejected Moses again and again and again. Uh, verse 40, And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. The horrible story of how they rejected Moses and they made this idol. And it's a symbolism of how they rejected Moses and God. And they appointed their own idol in place of Moses and God. Verse 42, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the hosts of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me to slain, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took out the tent of Moloch and the star of your God Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had a tent of witness. Sorry, this is really long. <laughs> Our fathers had a tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he'd seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dis dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for God, the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So yes, they have the temple that, was, that began actually with this tent that God gave as a model for the temple. You know, God said, follow these instructions. And so he made this model that was a model of what was in heaven. And this model, which was the tent, became the temple that started with David, but was finished by his son Solomon. He said, yes, 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 we have this temple. And now he's referring to well, this, 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 this temple that he's standing in front of. And, and, and well, it's a reconstructed temple, but still the idea of this temple that was given to them by God. Very impressive. There's a place of worship. There's a symbolism of God. But then he says, we all know that God does not live in temples built by human hands because God says, heaven is my throne. The earth is his footstool. God cannot fit inside a building. 
So, and he's saying, I made all these things. How can you make something for me? I made all these things. So, so again, coming back to the two accusations of Stephen, he's against Moses, against the temple. He's just said, you know, Moses is someone whom he really honors. He's just given the whole history of Moses, but also we have a history of dishonoring. You know, we've rejected Moses again and again. And the temple, they said, that he's speaking against the temple. and said, no, no, no. This is a temple that's given to us by God as a model of what's happening in heaven, God's throne room. But yet at the same time, God himself says he does not dwell in temples or buildings made by hands. So in other words, either, either you take it that Stephen is actually all for Moses or the temple, or if you really want to nitpick and say that actually uh, Stephen is saying some things against Moses, some things against the temple. Well, he's saying, well, the Bible says this. The Bible says that we have rejected Moses. We have built something that God cannot live in, this temple. God himself has his own place of dwelling, which is in heaven. So the Bible himself itself speaks against or criticizes our attempts to make these things into something it is not. Yeah. Okay. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people and circumcised in heart and ears. You know, this is the mic drop moment. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. As your fathers did, so do you. Your fathers resisted the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening to you right now. You're resisting the Holy Spirit because you're just following the, the sinfulness of your fathers. Which one of the prophets that your fathers did not persecute and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it? It's really convicting. You know, you have the law, but you don't obey it. You have the Bible, you don't read it. You have God's word, and yet you do not obey it. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You can see Jesus <laughs> standing at God's right hand, which is quite a big deal because a lot of the description of Jesus in heaven is God's, Jesus sitting at, sitting at the right hand of God. But it's almost as if Jesus is standing, hearing Stephen speak and preaching the gospel. Jesus is saying, well done. Or Jesus is saying, come up here. Jesus is always welcoming him. Verse 57, But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They killed him with stones. They threw these stones at him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You'll ah, come in to the picture in the next chapter, but already Saul, this guy was there, you know, looking after the backpacks, looking after their jackets as his friends are killing Stephen with stones. Almost, you know, later on it says he was giving approval towards this. That means he, he was complicit in this act of killing Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, verse 59, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And as he said this, he fell asleep. And that's the end of the chapter. Very convicting. Now Stephen, again, this young man full of the spirit, appointed just to be his apprentice. His job is not to get into trouble, not to be a preacher, just to distribute the snacks to the little old nice ladies. But he can't help it. 
Now, being full of the Spirit means you're being full, filled with the gospel. And so he speaks it, and as a result, he's persecuted before because of it, and he's killed because of it. Stephen becomes the first martyr uh, in the book of Acts. Martyr means witness, but also means, in this case, in this context, someone who's killed because he's witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's uh, not one of the apostles. Uh, it's uh, someone who's very young. He's not even one of the Hebrew uh, Christians. He's actually one of the Greek-speaking Christians. And he becomes this model of faith. You know, this, this sermon that he gives is one of the longest in the book of Acts. It's incredible how he's able to rehash the whole history of the Old Testament and show that it points to Jesus. He's able to bring out this response to the Bible and to the gospel that isn't necessarily repentance and faith, but nonetheless is genuine, genuine response because it's genuine response to the gospel and it costs him his life. You know, how much more us? You know, maybe you're watching this and you think you're too young or you think you're not qualified. You think you're not supposed to do this because you don't have a position. That's Stephen. That's Stephen. He is used by God very powerfully to preach the gospel. And it doesn't bear the kind of results you expect. You know, it doesn't mean that you preach the gospel, people are going to become Christian. Sometimes if you preach the gospel, people become even more anti-Christian. But the gospel is the gospel. You know, your faithfulness means preaching the gospel. And response is just a response. Whether they repent or not, whether they respond or turn away, that is God's work through the Holy Spirit. Our job is simply to speak it as clearly, as faithfully, as boldly as possible. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Stephen, and thank you for Jesus. I think Stephen was simply emulating Jesus. I think Jesus shows us what it means to preach the gospel um, faithfully, even in the face of opposition. Help us to do this. It is, again, another scary prayer. <laughs> help us to speak the gospel, even though it might cost us our lives. But help us to do this in such a way that we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to you. That you also might even be looking at us, conscious that you are uh, even seeing how we live our lives for you right now. Uh, Lord Jesus, that's just a very convicting thought and an amazing picture that we see here. But help us to live our lives for you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.